0: You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, welcome to Culture Determined on Blogging Heads TV. I'm your host Ari Conan Wade, and my guest today is Laura Marsh. Uh, Laura, could you please introduce yourself?
1: Hi, um, I'm Laura Marsh. I'm the literary editor of The New Republic.
0: Uh, thanks so much for coming on. So, our topic today is going to be uh, the very controversial. Uh, Biography of Philip Roth, and certain events and accusations have been made uh, clear in the past week or so um, about the author of that biography, uh, Blake Bailey. And so I did a previous episode with uh, Jacques Berlinerblau on Roth. He has a book coming out on Roth in the fall that's uh, highly critical of Roth's writing on race and gender and other things. And uh, so we've added that back and forth. and. Uh, neither of us had seen the biography at that point, but some of the early reviews were trickling in, and I think maybe a week after we recorded, you reviewed the book in The New Republic, and you gave it a pretty negative review, and this is, I think I've read more reviews of this book than any book in years, maybe? Like, you know, everyone is, this is clearly seen as a huge literary event, even before the uh, accusations against Bailey were surfaced, and so, you know, everyone... They bring out the heavy hitters uh, in a lot of these reviews, and it's like 900 pages. And at this point, I feel like, um, even you know, even a month ago, I was like, "There's no way I could read this now because my brain has been totally fried by uh, the events of the past couple of years." And a 900-page uh, biography, even of my favorite American novelist, uh, probably I'm not going to be able to get through it. Uh, you know, it'll just put me to sleep. Um, and but so you give a negative review. There's some early reviews that were. I don't know, somewhat equivocal and used inventive um, uh, writing techniques to try to get at Roth, including one where Roth's ghost reviews the uh, book from the afterlife and other such things. And then, yeah, so I got a couple of uh, like, you know, five-star reviews from Remnick in The New Yorker and New York Times book review. Was it Cynthia Ozick reviewed it in The Times book review? But uh, one of the normal reviewers, Parul Sagal, if that's how you pronounce your name, gave it over a pan. And so it seemed like, you know, mixed. Some people really loved it. Some people not so much. And then, um, but it was just getting a huge, you know, this first big book of, you know, like the year post-pandemic, people are just maybe excited to think about something that didn't have anything to do with Trump or the pandemic or something. And and then um, a week or so ago, um, there was reporting uh, in the Times-Picayune, or was they, they broke the story and then other places started reporting on it other about uh, accusations of uh, sexual assault uh, against the buyer for Blake Bailey and uh, like quote quote quote, grooming um, women who had who were his students when he taught at a middle school uh, before he was a writer who he had sexual um, encounters with later in life when they were adults and uh, so some of these so I think people were, you know, very shocked. And this was like, you know, a New York times news alert talking about this thing. And he has since sort of withdrawn from the public space and is issuing, you know, comments via lawyers now. And there's lots of bizarre aspects to this related to how various institutions like his publisher uh, responded to women who reached out to them. Um, and, yeah, so it's a huge mess, and so I'm interested in talking to you about it because you uh, zeroed in on some of the stuff, uh, you know, before the recent accusations came forward. That seemed like you were seeing something that maybe some other people, like David Remnick were not seeing in this book. Okay, so did I get all that right? is there <laughs> anything I should that should be corrected in my that spiel I just gave? I
1: think that was a pretty good summary. I mean, it's, it's hard to summarize everything that happened here because there's so many twists and turns. And like you said, it's a huge mess. Like, I think there's, there are still things we'll find out as time goes by and there's more reporting. But I think that those are the basic contours of what's happened so far.
0: Okay. Um, so it was just announced. So, so the publisher is Norton, um, which is, is it the, is it the last... Major publisher that's independent at this point? Or are they are they actually owned by some international conglomerate?
1: Um, so I also. believe that they are an employee owned company, um, okay. a, independent company. I'm, I'm not an expert. I didn't research that uh, beforehand, but they're, they're a venerable publisher, right? Like everyone knows Norton from the anthologies they publish, Norton Critical Editions, and they're they're a great publisher of new nonfiction and fiction. Um, in a moment where actually that's a really really difficult business.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, there's been this huge consolidation in publishing, you know, over the past 20 30 years and there used to be like the big 6 and now it's like the big 4 because what <laughs> Penguin Random House combined anyway. So so Norton, you know, a serious uh, literary press uh, that puts out serious work um, decided to that they would uh, stop publication on the book and uh, so I guess you're not going to be able to uh, get new copies of it if you, you know, if people want to find out what all the controversy is about. So that's, of course, you know, this gets into like the cancel culture narrative that seems to be taking over our lives over the past couple of years. And I have conflicting thoughts about this. But um, okay, so I guess well, let me say what I what I thought. So you know, when I read your review, um, after reading you know this one by Kristen. Lawrenceon, if I'm saying his last name correctly, uh, um, that, you know, a, a lot of the reviews of this are like, well, we have to basically sort of narrate the arc of Roth's life, because that's what people expect in a review of a huge, you know, 900 page biography. And so, you know, they recapitulate a lot of the things that happened and, and it's, it's, it's sort of like the line between reviewing this book, Philip Roth's biography, if that's what it's called, versus like reviewing Philip Roth now historical figure Mm -hmm. and man who you know committed various offenses uh over the course of his life and also wrote 30 odd books um and you know some people consider him you know one of the great american authors of all time um and yeah so when i read yours i was thinking when i initially read your review i was thinking kind of like okay like phil froth like he's kind of an asshole like it, it, it kind of seems that like that's clear and it's weird because he wrote so autobiographically um, in most of his work, but also like rejected this idea that he was an autobiographical writer, which just doesn't make any sense to me. But like clearly, you know, he was, most of his characters seem, had shared biographical details with himself. And, um, and, you know, he acted towards various people, mostly women who he had relationships with in bad ways. And so a lot of the details of the specific ways he treated women badly are like brought forth in this biography, but then I guess Bailey inserts and source, and source, like commentary saying like, you know, are basically framing everything to excuse Roth's behavior and paint the women who he was in conflict with in a negative light. Um, is that is that is that ha- like jibe with <laughs> with a? Uh, What's actually in the book, which I have not read, and <laughs> at this point I probably will not read, because uh, as I said, it's 900 pages, and now you can't even buy it anymore. So, yeah,
1: I know the barriers to you getting the hold of a copy of this book, unless you want to listen to the audiobook, which I believe has been licensed to a third party that's taken no action. Like that 100%. would be your main way of accessing this book right now. Um, I think so it's that, really like twenty or thirty
0: hours, <laughs> but yeah, point. that
1: would be a rough listen. Yeah. Um, And just very, very strange way to consume this genre of writing anyway. um, No, I I think it's really complicated, right? Because when you have a book like this, um, there's sort of two ways you can go as a reviewer. One is to write your big piece on Philip Roth. And you're just using the book and the information in the book to kind of pick out the good bits, you know, the interesting stuff and construct your kind of like vision of like, this is how I see Philip Roth. Um, and those are really, really fun pieces to read. They often have lasting value. Um, often that's the kind of piece I would encourage a reviewer to, to try and do because, um, I think that people are a lot more interested in Philip Roth, right? Than in whoever ends up being his biographer as a general rule. Like we just recently ran a piece of uh, biography of Graham Greene. And like, I want that to be an essay about Graham Greene, not about the guy named Richard Greene who wrote the book, because I'm interested in Graham Greene. I think our readers are mostly interested in Graham Greene. Same goes for Philip Roth. Um, So normally I would not be like, I wouldn't want the author of a biography to have such a big part in the coverage of it because it's just not that interesting. Um, I mean, to some extent, you you do want to comment on how is this person presenting the author? Because you could say uh, they emphasize such and such, but actually I would emphasize something else. You know, like, um, so you feel something to push back against when you're presenting your vision of the broth. This case just struck me as kind of an exception to the way I would normally approach a piece like that um, because of the way the book was written, um, made it so hard to get through, and, and also just uh, really felt very disruptive to the narrative um, because the telling of the story feels so biased against so many of the people in the, in the story that you start questioning, like, what really happened? Um, and, and I think once you're in that relationship with a book, you have to say something about it because, um, there's, it's such a big part of your experience of understanding the life.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, there, you know, the, the Yorker often runs when, when there's like a big new biography of some figure, the New Yorker often runs a piece where it's more like a historical recounting of the life of the figure. And if you don't know a lot about that figure, you can learn a quick, you know, sort of, Summary of their life, and mm-hmm. maybe get more interested in learning about them or reading the, bu- the book that's being reviewed itself. But you know, sometimes it's like more than half of what they're talking about is just you know what uh, Proust's childhood or something. If it's a, a biography of Proust, and, yeah.
1: And they, sometimes they won't even mention the book, like the title of it, until like the second page. Um, like it's yeah. very much in passing. And I, I think those kinds of pieces are really like fun to read. Um, they're a great entry point for people who like haven't been thinking about this a lot or are just looking for, like, a new view, like a new kind of way of understanding the series effects that they might be familiar with. Um, So that's a completely valid way to do criticism, um, I think, in most situations. Like, that's what I went into this expecting to do. Like, I was going to write a piece about, you know, like, um grappling with Philip Roth is like an author I had really avoided reading for a long time and then had started to read and was very surprised like this was not the author I thought he was when I started actually reading his books um and I felt like there's something interesting there uh but that whole project got derailed when I read the biography itself
0: okay that's interesting I would like to read I would like to read the essay the original uh, conception of of that essay also. And maybe we can just talk about that a little bit later, but okay. So which something I didn't mention yet is that this is, this is the authorized biography uh, and Roth had a lot of drama involving other potential biographers. And that like is incorporated into the biography. So there's this sort of meta aspect, which is very Rothian um, where he's like, you know, he grows to uh, hate this guy who he enlisted to write the, write the biography initially and even like writes a, you know, like a a manuscript essentially that rebuts the things that he is doing already, um, which is kind of crazy. And so clearly, you know, Roth was very concerned about how he would be remembered and he handpicked this guy, Bailey, um, after rejecting various other people and even like, you know, threatening lawsuits against various other people um, who might've engaged in this project. So, um, So, yeah, so, you know, Roth, Bailey pitched himself to Roth, Roth agreed to go with Bailey. Bailey had previously written biographies of uh, John Cheever and uh, uh, Richard, yeah, wrote, Yates. Richard Yates wrote, what is it? Not Independence Road. What is that book called? Revolutionary Road, <laughs> Revolutionary yeah. Road. Uh, you know, so less, somewhat minor, more, more compared to Roth, you know, less prominent figures, but I guess those books were favorably received. I, I haven't read uh, either of them, but um, so, okay, so then once these, okay, so yeah, so the, you know, one one thing I wondered when I was reading, after I read your review, before the you know, recent allegations came out, and then reading more positive ones, like the glowing review that Remnant gave it, was like, okay, so Bailey unearth his, unearths these things that Roth said or did in his past, and then he kind of like justifies them in, in some way. That's what it seems like. But you don't have to buy his justification if he unearths this fact. So like, you know, just a lot of crazy shit that Roth did, like he tried to trick his first wife into like moving like he was going to move to new york and actually he's going to move to palo alto where he's going to get a a, you know that to
1: me was like one of the funnier parts of the book where he he's like oh maybe if i tell her that i'm going to move to new york and then i introduce her to some editors there one of whom was bob silvers whom i used to work for uh who so who i found it the, very very funny the like review maybe books founder yeah the editor of the new york review of books who i think was maybe an editor at harper's at the time that all this is going on uh but his idea was like if he could trick his wife to moving there or got then girlfriend they would like give her a job so she would stay in new york and then okay. he would like secretly would her. go to stanford um <laughs> which is <it's> crazy like, <laughs> I, so
0: just describing the facts of that like you're like tricking someone about what where you're moving in the country I guess you know this would be impossible today but even in like 1962 or whatever this is you know this is not like a plan that so he ended up not getting the fellowship at Stanford so he couldn't put this plan into effect but that's just crazy that he thought that and so I does like Bailey present like a sympathetic portrayal of that or does he lay out the facts and he's like but really Roth like was making a good decision at the time blah blah blah.
1: Right. So um this is this is a story that's from the kind of larger arc of Roth's relationship with his first wife, this woman, Margaret Martinson, um, uh, which is a very, very mysterious relationship. Um, because they are dating for a really long, like several years. And in Bailey's telling, like she's just this villain from the beginning, like from the very beginning, you're just told this is going to be a really bad relationship. So as you're going through like all the periods of them dating, you're just like, if he hates her so much, why don't they break up? Like, there's so many opportunities to break off this relationship. And there are, like, little glimmers of Roth telling people, like, actually, it's kind of my fault that she's upset so much, and, like, I don't treat her well enough, and, like, showing that he kind of wants to be in a relationship. But because the whole thing's presented as, like, she's this really bad person who then, like, tricks Roth into marrying her, you never really understand what the relationship actually was, because of course it can't have just been that she tricked him into marrying him because she didn't trick him into dating her for so long. And he does seem to have engaged with her on on this level, like voluntarily over a fairly long period of time that suggests that they actually did share something, even if it was very fraught and full of fights and horrible behavior from both of them. Um, so this this like little story about him deciding like maybe he'll tell her he's moving to New York and actually go to Palo Alto is part of that period where you're like what is this relationship between these two people? And when I was reading the biography, I kept thinking I just wish that like you know he'd been able to talk to some people who knew Maggie who who could have shed some light on this or some of the Roth friends like why do you think they were together? Because it. Just talking to Roth, just from the interviews with Roth, all you get is like, I hate this person. It's so traumatic. Because he's talking from a distance of years after a divorce. Um, and so you never really understand. It's all It all seems very illogical and weird because there's no extra perspective on what happened. And of course, she isn't alive uh, to try and explain what she thinks happened.
0: Okay, right. So, okay, so there's, you know, maybe, so you could say a more skilled biographer would have been able to, you know, present like look at these two humans and why they decided to do these things and make it make sense. Yeah. Why, why did they, why did they stick together? What was the, you know, what was, what was the attraction? And then, yeah, so she, and and correct me if I have some of the details wrong, this was, I I mainly know this from both the reviews and the fictionalized versions he presents in various books is that um, she like faked a pregnancy by buying urine from a woman who was pregnant and then um told him that she had aborted the baby and that was like ensnared him into because he felt so bad for her into the marriage and then they had this very tumultuous relationship and then were they actually and then she was killed in a by being hit by a car while she's a pedestrian in I think Central Park and um and that because because she had like refused to agree to a divorce or something and so this like was this crazy thing that like freed roth from the like responsibility of being connected to this person who he came to totally despise um and so that's that's like the rothian perspective on on how the relationship went is that he was like rescued by by fate
1: uh-oh. Yeah, and and like that that story, so actually she, I think she was in a in a car on the Central Park transverse and okay. the driver was drunk, they were on the way home from a party and they crashed. That's how okay. she died. That was like in the middle of her divorce from Roth, which was really drawn out and complicated, but was going to mean that he was going to have to pay her alimony of some kind. Which to me doesn't seem strange at all. Like that's what happens when you get divorced, like the assets are divided. Um, you know, there's a provision for the partner who who came into it with less or leaves with less. Um, but the Roth version of this of the story kind of pops up in other of his works, and then in his autobiography. And um, he has this like very provocative presentation of her dying, where he says that he looks at the corpse and says, "You're dead, and I didn't have to do it." Which, and I think. Um, people have written about that a lot to say that Roth was completely like, you relieved, f- freed from this marriage, very happy about the death of his what seemed to be ex-wife. I'm sure that's true on some level, but I think you have to contextualize um, the way he wrote about it. It was in like a work of creative nonfiction. Um, like I don't think it was a completely straight faced uh, proclamation, like it was, it was meant to be provocative and uncomfortable. And right, so, so then, this is in the
0: facts. His, his yeah, and the facts, which is like it, this very
1: like stylish work. I, I still think it's obviously like a really repellent thing to say, but he was aware of that and he was kind of like pushing it. And what's weird to me is then to see critics and biographer just treat it really literally and then endorse it. Because it's one thing for someone to be like, oh, I had this horrible feeling, like this horrible feeling I know I shouldn't have about something they experienced. It's another thing for other people to say, it's great that your wife died. Like, that's the thing that's always struck me as so messed up around Roth is that he brings more sophistication and ambiguity to these things in his books than his critics are capable of actually incorporating when they write about him. Um I've read some reviews that actively celebrate this woman's death on his behalf. And I find that shocking in a culture in which, like just for some context, men do kill their wives. Like intimate partner violence is a really horrific problem um, that's rather unpunished in this country and elsewhere. And I think that there's like a very misogynist narrative there to like for critics to be celebrating the death of a woman just because she was going to get alimony. Like that just strikes me as so messed up. So all of that, I felt like once you lose the nuance, you slip very quickly into some quite horrifying misogynist ideas about who deserves what and who kind of deserves to exist.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, and so what the thing with the, the thing with the facts is that you know he wrote this mem- memoir autobiography that because he had fictionalized so much of his life he was like okay this is you know this is what really happened and you know removing like the commentary and the fictionalization from it but he includes these bookends using a fictional his fictional alter, alter ego Nathan Zuckerman uh, saying like, like an introduction and a conclusion from this fictional character saying like you shouldn't publish this so you know it. it
1: and he, he changes names. He doesn't use Maggie's real name. So I mean, how factual is it? He's not even using her real name in the book.
0: Okay. Yeah. He's so still he, taking license with all of so it. So he wrote a book called "The Facts," that supposedly is autobiography, but it's an
1: ironic title. Yeah. So <laughs> he's always not. he's
0: always messing around with this stuff. And so you would hope that the eventual biographer who had to sort through all this stuff would be, you know, um, punctilious. Is that the word and how you pronounce it? You know, would would really. <laughs> do that. Do his or her best to nail everything down and have a very objective sense what was true, what was false, what was you know, printing the legend versus printing the fact kind of thing and so before the allegations came out against Bailey, it seemed like he, you know, a mixed bag of whether he accomplished that or not and then one of the things that so there also was all these, like there was a profile in the New York Times Magazine of Bailey, you know, like 10 days or so before the allegations came out by Um, mark oppenheimer that was very laudatory and you know there's just been so much press about this so it mentions that there's a lot of stuff that okay roth you know was uh kept everything you know he wrote like in boxes or files whatever and bailey had access to things that are currently like in the roth archive but might be destroyed by the archive Mm -hmm. at some point so maybe he's the only one who, who has ever read like this um manuscript that roth wrote that was rebutting the memoir that his second wife claire bloom wrote called leaving a doll's house that he intended to publish and then like his friends and lawyers convinced him not to publish so you know maybe like five people have actually read this thing and bailey is uh-huh. one of them and it might be destroyed and then so that's kind of crazy but then if you think you're thinking, like oh maybe this bailey fellow happens to be um you know a sociopathic rapist and suddenly that like throws everything in terms of like the historical record into into the air and um so then I'm like throwing up my hands, be like, I don't know what <laughs> what to think of of any of this anymore. So, so what did you? Um, so why don't we move somewhat into the? Um, well, I, well, just well, I guess one more thing. So you know, so now we know. I don't know if this crazy story about Roth trying to trick her into moving to New York when he was actually absconding to Palo Alto if that had been like previously reported anywhere. So we have that. We have like the facts. Like he, Bailey has written these things down in the book that is harder to access than it was a week ago but like so now we all know that story and maybe Bailey tried to spin it as like well you know uh he he just wanted the best for her and like to get a job as a secretary with for Bob Silver's or something but like we still have that's his spin on it and we have the fact and we have you know you point out you excerpt some quotes um uh the way that Bailey describes Martinson the first wife uh you know talking about roth being disgusted uh, by the shape of her and color of her vagina so someone so i assume roth is the one yeah. who said that and
1: well so yes but so that's a really really weird thing that comes into the book number number one i think that was actually when i started reading the book my with my antenna up a little more because before that i was just you know reading about his childhood in newark and it's a little bit boring but not there's nothing questionable about it when the vagina thing comes in, you're just like, whoa, we're four pages into having met this woman. I think it's about four pages into like her being introduced. And the reason I paused on it is because there's no such thing as a discolored vagina. Like that doesn't exist. It's something you can't know because as someone on Twitter pointed out, it's internal unless they meant the vulva, which is a different part of the female body. Um, but also uh, it kind of comes off as something that Roth volunteered at, I about mean, like, his wife. Who
0: else, who else could have provided this quote? Besides right, Roth. but that's actually
1: yeah. not the way it happens. So like, um, if you look at the book closely, which I know obviously you can't, um, that, won't at
0: this point.
1: that description of a withered and discolored vagina comes from a novel that he wrote and it describes the, char- the character. And then what happens is Bailey asks him, if this was based on Maggie's vagina and Roth says, yes. So it's not like Roth actually brings like Roth has written this about a fictional character, which questionable itself. And we could deal with that separately, but it isn't a fictional thing. And then Bailey asks him, seems to have asked him like solicited this, like needed to know if this was true of Maggie and Roth says, yes. And then, and then like elaborates a little bit about like how horrifying it all was. Um, so I don't know, that's not to exonerate Roth, but it is It is sort of a curious detail in that the biographer actively solicits this information um, because I don't think it's something that any of us needed to know. And also it doesn't make sense narratively because if her vagina was so disgusting, why were they dating for so long? They were in a sexual relationship for all this time. It's just clearly like, doesn't make any sense.
0: It's deeply, I mean, okay, it's deeply strange, but- okay so so we know okay the book i so this is this in this is in like um my life as a man or something like it's in one of the fictional portrayals that roth includes this line in one of his novels about a woman having a disgusting discolored vagina so we all we knew that for like 30 or 40 years already that that he had written this and maybe no one really paid close attention to it before bailey asked him point like like was this referring to this actual living person who, who who had you know died in this tragic way um and so we, we already knew that Roth was thinking about, you know, vaginas and, and whether they are colored or discolored or whatever. And we know that Roth and his was, like, thinking about vaginas a lot over the course of his career because, you know, one of the sections of Portrait's complaint is called Chasing Cunt. Like, he, like he's, he, you know, this is all out there that, that – mm-hmm. and his fictional characters are, are – Well, (laughs) the conflation is is so tricky, but like you know, all like many of his characters are these like sex obsessed men, and um and so so the fact that you know that we that we now know that Roth thought that his deceased ex wife had a vagina that disgusted him. So I guess like in, in terms of like the history of Roth historiography or whatever, like it's good to know that additional fact that like he was thinking about that, um and. We, we could maybe Blake Bailey excuses it, but we, you know, you and I talking about it like, wow, this is bizarre that he uh, was thinking about it. So it's, it's, I think it's good that we have this additional fact about this important literary historical figure. Um, but it, 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 most people would say this makes him look worse, not, not, mm-hmm. not like excusing why he threw her aside because he was disgusted by a vagina. Um, does, this, does this make sense or am I?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I think it's, Yes, it makes him look worse. And obviously, like, that was the theme of the piece I wrote, that he sort of opened up about all of his grievances and it ended up looking really bad. Um, I want to go back to this this book, Notes for My Biographer. So this is like the rebuttal to Claire Bloom's memoir um, that only a few people have seen. Blake Bailey saw it, read it. Um, I assume his agent read it and his publisher because he did actually sell the book. Like, it was ready to go to press. And finally, he was like, okay, you know what? I need to to hold off on this because people are telling me it's a bad idea. Um, So I was really curious when I learned that this existed um, to hear, like, what is the other side of the Claire Bloom story I read Leaving a Doll's House? I thought it was a pretty coherent and credible description of a marriage um certainly not an excoriation of any kind like it's clear from her book that she really loved Philip Roth very hurt by it but also like celebrates him in many ways and has a so, so respect this for is him. the second
0: wife just to clarify for people who are still falling along without knowing yeah, sorry spells <laughs> of Roth's biography. the second wife Claire Bloom she's still alive right she is yeah. a renowned uh, stage and film actress she's british and they were together for, like, 17 years, and then mm-hmm. they got married at, like, year 14 or something, and then it became And like
1: soon after that, it kind of slides for Yeah, so that heart. is,
0: I mean, that, like, just the bare facts of this case are, like, strange, and you would want to know, yeah, why, once they were married, did the relationship become so horrible? And, yeah, and then she wrote she wrote this memoir that was a bestseller, um, uh, painting him, you know, poorly, but maybe, uh, maybe accurately. She,
1: I mean, she just describes what he did or what she says he did. Um, And that looks bad. So I think, um, and she got a a lot of um, blowback for the book and, and was always, you know, it's always referred to sneeringly in literary circles um, because of this sort of like allegiance that people have to Philip Roth. So I had read that book. It's actually really hard to get a hold of it. I think it's out of print. The copy that I had bought on Amazon was like, covered in black mold and I had to cut like parts of it off. Like, wow. um, and then that's like the only copy I could get. It's like pretty expensive. Probably people I
0: are, you know, the, 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 I'm surprised that whoever owns the copyright of that book did not rush it back into print, knowing that this Bailey biography was coming out. That'd be like the money-making way, way to do things. But I, would, I, I've yeah. not read that book.
1: It would definitely be worth at least making it available as an ebook because it's, it's a really interesting um, autobiography and also um, contains a lot of details of her relationships with people like you know, famous actors that she had worked with and had relationships with. But anyway, so when I, I've, I'd read that book and I heard that Philip Roth had written a line-by-line line rebuttal to it, I was like, I'm really curious because maybe there you know, are two sides to every story. What is it that he can say about her that's going to make me change my mind about what happened here? And really, like, in the book, <laughs> Bailey biography, there's nothing that he quotes from that book that changes your mind at all. Um, like they're, they're, it doesn't really introduce any new facts. It doesn't It doesn't prove that she was lying about anything. Um, so I was really mystified by what this rebuttal could have been because the parts that are quoted, for instance, just um, sort of make light of her feelings about things. So there's this part where he has insisted that her daughter, Anna Steiger, move out of the family home. And Claire Bloom in her book looks back on this very regretfully and says, Anna was asked to move out. She was 18. And, and I thought that that line like lands really powerfully in her book because this is a mother saying, Oh my God, I can't believe I agreed to do that to my daughter. And she was so young and Philip Roth's response is that this is like absurd because it would only be really sad if Anna had been two
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and like, These are not things that really hold water as a rebuttal. That's just him saying, like, I don't care how you feel. Um, It's not like he's introducing new facts about anything she's done that is making her sound bad. Um, So I think that there is a kind of disappointment there in, like, what was this book? Uh, What did he think he was doing? I know that that's one of the books that in the Mark Oppenheimer piece, it says, may not be preserved or ever made available to the public. So I'm not sure we'll ever know. Um, but certainly it's it's of note that Philip Roth wrote it and was actually yeah, planning I mean, to seems, publish it.
0: That seems a crazy dereliction of duty of the estate or wh- whatever library is like managing these like pieces of paper or files like to say, like, we, we might never release this or destroy it. Like, you know, at some point. Like the uh, the weight of history, or the uh, the you know mm-hmm. uh, future generations deserve. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, you know, he's a he's a public figure, and uh, maybe wait another twenty or so years. Yeah, maybe seal head, but,
1: them for a certain yeah. period. But like, you have to reckon with the fact this was someone who was preparing all of his stuff for a long time before he died, and he didn't destroy this. He made it available to his biographer. didn't destroy it. I think you have to. Um, assume that anything he didn't destroy he was happy for people to read yeah and so i think for the estate to say we might just like pulp this one um
0: that's crazy and, i think and that's fact, really questionable the fact that bailey you know one of like one of the five people who has read this is now uh charged with um you know being a Rapist is. We'll maybe convince them. Like, let's not shred this. <laughs> let's not throw it into the fire. Uh, you know, hold it, <laughs> hold it for future, future biographers. Um, okay. So the um. So what did you? I mean, what did you think when the the story, these stories came out a week or so ago about about Bailey being um accused of sexual assault and like sexual grooming of of students. Um. I, well,
1: I think it's actually really hard to. To state like how shocking the stories that came out were, looking um, and incredibly unexpected because it's one thing to write a book that I found very sexist and offensive, um, but it's another to be accused of the, the kinds of behaviour that we're talking about here. Um, so, though, yeah, I, I mean, I think incredibly shocking, right? I, I think no one would have sort of be no one would be blase about those stories um does it change how we read the book I would say no because I thought it was a really bad book already (laughs) um I think I think that's the the place where like the literary world has got itself caught up in knots because people who praise the book seem to want to make the argument that this changes everything and um like The quotes that I quote were in the first printing of the book. There are many more quotes that subsequent um, writers have pulled out in their own pieces that I think speak for themselves.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. So it's a huge mess, as we said earlier. Um, And there's, okay. So the, you know, the, the question that occurred to me is, you know, Roth, gave this guy, gave Bailey like carte blanche to interview everyone and read through all of his papers. Uh, You know, one can't help, or at least I can't help, but wonder like if, if as alleged, you know, uh, Bailey is this like sociopath who raped a woman in Dwight Garner's house uh, while he was like a one-time overnight guest at Dwight Garner being the New York Times book review, one of the New York Times book review, New York Times art sections book critics. um, That is Like that, I mean, that's like a, that's like a Weinstein Weinstein level sociopathic kind of thing to do. I I mean, just like, obviously being a rapist is horrible, but thinking like, I'm going to do this in like someone who works the New York Times house and then like participate in all sorts of like New York Times interviews and profiles and activities like that, that is, you know, crazy, like extra levels of crazy, beyond the, the normal criminal levels of crazy. And he had to know this was a big deal and so he must have, you know, this is pure speculation, of course, but, like, he you know, basically thought, like, oh, what I did wasn't really bad. Um, and so you can't help but think if he uncovered, uncovered other things that Roth may have done in his past, he may have thought, well, this wasn't really so bad. I'll just, you know, I'm not going to say th- anything about this, and this will stay in the archives for another 50 years. Like, if, if, if someone who is an accused sociopathic rapist <laughs> writes a biography of someone was a very complicated, controversial, vexed, relationships to sex and uh the relationships between men and women you know like what this is just i don't i'm throwing up my hands once again so 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 there's that like you know ha- beyond just like does it matter whether or not someone is like a good person or a bad person and we have their the book they wrote and should we like buy it or say it's the best one of the year or whatever like those sort of you know is it okay to like enjoy old louis ck stand up because now we know about the various ways he he treated women very badly like you know he he, Bailey was in the position of sorting what goes into the historical record and maybe what is concealed for a long time or or forever and if he is the type of person who did the things he's accused of then you know the historical record is you know is is um is, is has been distorted irreparably so that's that's part of it. So yeah, I'm just I'm just like very confused about this whole situation and don't know the thing that's the part why I wanted to talk to you about it because you you uh, had a pressure view of of the book um, that maybe other people did not. So yeah, do you have any thoughts on on that aspect of it? Um,
1: I think what I find dismaying about the reviews of the book that just didn't mention the sexism at all, um, or in fact, even try to sort of defend it is like a kind of refusal to read. Um, Like you don't need to know about these allegations actually to read the book. And I think it's, it, it worries me that people think that only once they've heard about allegations like this, is it not okay for someone to tell a story in such a sexist way. Um, Because look, this may well not have come out, right? Like we may well not have heard from these women. Um, It takes an incredible amount of courage to come forward and talk to a reporter and like follow through on accusations like this. Because uh, let's face it, That isn't the dominant narrative. The dominant narrative is that this was a masterwork, as Cynthia Ozick wrote, um, and that women in the book that Roth didn't like were, quote, harpies. Like that was a word that was being used in earnest about these women. So I think it's about women in the Roth book. And so I think for um, the women who have come forward to... to make accusations against Blake Bailey, like that is an incredibly difficult thing to do and very well might not have happened. Right? I don't, I don't a, know the story of like w- how they decided to come together to do that. Like I'm sure it's very complicated.
0: Yeah, and so, so part of this is that the woman who accused who was accused Bailey of raping at Dwight Garter's house wrote a letter to the editor-in-chief or publisher of Norton at some point, like saying this is what this is what happened you know and that that person forwarded the letter to bailey himself and then bailey wrote a letter to the accuser saying like please don't ruin my life i have a wife and daughter who adore me like so that and that's that maybe happened in 2018 uh, is that right like so this is after the weinstein allegations and mm-hmm. presumably everyone's eyes are open to you know uh, the uh, the world that was hidden before from many men although the the publisher energy if this person is is a woman so it, it's just like and um yes yeah, so that's that's insane that that happened and maybe it's something that someone should resign over um and yeah i don't, I, don't it, I, know, just
1: I think i think that leaves a lot of questions right um this happened like during or in fact after the me too movement had peaked so the idea that this was something that could just be ignored even at that moment is shocking actually really reminded me of some of the allegations against Andrew Cuomo. Um, like Lindsay Boylan describes experiences she had literally the month that the Weinstein story is breaking in Andrew Cuomo's office. Uh, like it, it does seem that even though we thought there was a reckoning happening, uh, in the offices of many men who had a lot of power and prestige, nothing changed. Uh, and so I think that's one thing to note, like, um. Not as much has changed as a result of 2017, 2018, as you might think. The idea that this could be just passed along to the accused um, and ignored to all other intents and purposes is really shocking. And I think, um, you know, we held there was a statement from Norton recently saying that they decided to retract the book and they're going to make this donation, but not no apology to, to Valentina Rice. That's some stuff glaring to me and, and no assurances of like what they would do in future. Like what happens if an editorial assistant is harassed during the publication of a book or sources assaulted, you know, like these are, these are really serious questions that the publishing industry needs to grapple with and have a plan in place for um, rather than just saying, we didn't know what to do. Therefore we didn't do anything.
0: Right. And I mean, you know, putting myself in the shoes of the Norton editor-in-chief, I mean, it is somewhat, uh, it's not obvious what the right thing to do at that point would have been. It it seems obviously wrong to send the uh, letter to Mm -hmm. the person being accused of rape. Um, But like, you know, the uh, Norton is not like the New York Times. They don't have (laughs) an investigations unit um, to dig into this stuff. And so they, you know, could have like hired like outside counsel or something to to look into it. I guess maybe that would have been appropriate. But uh, so maybe I feel like one, you know, three percent sympathy for them of like, oh, shit, you know, we've, we've paid this guy five hundred thousand dollars or whatever. And we have this huge book that we know is going to everyone's going to love and like, oh, suddenly we got this letter from this woman. Who is this woman? What is she what she actually saying? You can imagine all those things going through their minds, but they they stepped in it. For Sure, and so they have now like retracted, pulled, it's no longer, no longer going to be published. Uh, this book, although, um, I guess it will pass hand to hand, like you know, Sami's dot or something, um, until the end of time. And, and so, then, yeah, this is like since this is the authorized biography, and he does he did access all this stuff. I mean, you know, electronic files will continue to exist of it, and people can get access to it. But, it ha- so there was a piece that Eric Alterman wrote, kind of a blog post objecting to this and saying like, um, you know, whether or not Blake Bailey is a sociopath, like you can't just leave it up to the publisher to pull the book when, you know, someone, the, an author is accused of something even a horrendous crime. But of course, these are just allegations, it, it, you know, unless, you know, it seems extremely unlikely that there would be like a trial, this would enter like a criminal investigation at this point, um, so yeah, well, so what is the publisher's responsibility to you know, the greater project of truth and literature and, and, and so forth? What do you what do you think about that?
1: I think um, I think it's a huge mess, right? Because yeah. one of the questions here is like, should the book be published anymore? It's sort of the wrong question because it's not like this just came to light the publisher received information three years ago. So the question really was three years ago, should we proceed? How should we proceed? What? How should we react? Um, what should we do? And should we go ahead? That Those questions were not pursued, um, and they went ahead with the book. So in a way, like the opportunity to confront this Um in the the most reasonable way, was missed. And you can't really turn the clock back on that. Um, This was a company that has a track record of making bad decisions where this book was concerned, where these complaints were concerned, right? So to then expect them to make a good decision, now that it's all public, seems quite counterintuitive because, you know, like how much time did they spend thinking about whether to keep the book in print or not and whether to pop these copies we don't know anything about their thinking about the arguments they went through um there's nothing really in their statement about the issues that this raises it is it's a pretty unprecedented move to retract a book um on top of that you could also argue about what that really means um is it in fact, possible to retract the publication of a book that you know I have a copy of in my house lots of people own copies of I have PDFs of it like the, <laughs> the audiobook is available. Um, you actually can't retract a book it's out there. They you made the retrat- decision I mean, to publish it
0: in the internet age you can't retract every you know anything that exists you know, Yeah, yeah it <sighs> can be copied and you know exists forever in the cloud or whatever
1: like my concern about what they've done is that it's sort of an attempt to it could be read as an attempt to whitewash their own role in this. Um, the publisher isn't simply someone who is distributing a book. They are actively involved in the creation of the book, um, editing it, assigning it, guiding the project through. All of that was done over, over many years, including in the last three years when they were aware of a complaint from Valentina Rice. Um, so it's not as simple as just saying, oh, we're not publishing it anymore. We're good now. Um, I see that as an attempt to rewrite history and uh, the fact that this book was pursued as part of, for better or worse, the critical history of Philip Roth. It's the book he wanted. Um, I I don't have developed thoughts on whether people should read it or whether it should stay in print. But what I do know is that any attempt to sort of erase this incident is pretty dishonest. Um, And so I, I disagree with that. And I think it's in the same way that you see people who hosted events like author events have now deleted a lot of the video of those events. Again, like, I understand on one hand, there's an impulse to say we don't want to promote this because we, we condemn the behavior that's alleged here. And I think that's for the most part, quite an honorable impulse. On the other hand, I think, where does that get into rewriting history? is the New York Times going to like remove its reviews of the book? No, that's, they've been published. That is part of the way this book was received. Um, so I think that are issues here where it's like, is there going to be an honest accounting of what happened and, and how much do these moves by what is basically a corporation, right? An independently owned company, but a large company
0: um, it's definitely uh, definitely a corporation right <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: well to what extent are they actually attempts to obscure what really happened
0: yeah i i mean you know i guess i would take the like marxist or pseudo-marxist view that like the corporation is is working in its own interest and not mm-hmm. in the interest of sort of any higher goal of of truth or whatever um it's gonna it's gonna like work to protect itself and um maybe that will include like forcing out some people who or trying to cover this up in the, in the past or something, but, like, even if Norton is owned by its employees, like, they all, you know, the employees have an interest in, like, continuing to get paychecks and, and so forth, and so they'll, like, do what's, what's in their interest um, as they see it. Um, yeah, it's such a mess. I mean, so then there's this other aspect of, like, the, the relationship between author and text is like one of the core themes in the work of Philip Roth. And so is Philip Roth rolling over in his grave or is he laughing at this crazy turn of events? Um, You know, like this, it's, I don't think it's, you know, you could say this this is like, who would. who's going to like write up, someone's going to write a long magazine article or a book about this whole disaster. You know, someone embodying the spirit of Philip Roth would be a good person to think about it because he was like obsessed with this idea in, so like the first book of sort of the second phase of his career was The Ghostwriter. And it begins where the narrator, Nathan Zuckerman, is talking about selling magazines door to door and whether he can like fully commit to that job or whether he should like sort of do it just as a way to um make enough money that he can keep on writing his short stories. And so and so it's this joking take on like the division between the artist and the art, um, you know, which which one can you like live with purity? Um, and, you know, and which one not. So he was thinking about this for a very long time. And so we have both Roth, a contested controversial figure, being <laughs> having the authorized biography by someone accused of being a rapist and, you know, grooming middle school students to eventually uh, have sex with them. And it's, it's, yeah, I, it's, it's crazy. Um, it, okay. Let me um, ask you what, what you mentioned about what you mentioned earlier about how you had avoided reading Roth for some time. And then when you, it was not what you expected when you eventually did um, read some of his work. Could you uh, talk more about that?
1: Uh, well, so I had um, always been sort of put off by the kind of high spirited, jokey, like port noise complaint. complaints idea of Philip Roth and um I, when I and I just didn't feel drawn to him as a writer for for a long time um and then I read some of these later books like Counterlife Operation Shylock and thought okay maybe he's like I could read him as a political novelist um someone whose books are like largely centering on debates between the characters that novels of ideas in which the characters are going back and forth about um, these big, international political questions and um, find them that themselves sort of like stuck in these predicaments that actually encapsulate some of the contours of those problems. I found that really interesting. There's still sex in those books. Um, I'm not like against sex in books. I just like, <laughs> I, I don't really like it in Philip Roth's books because I find it really boring and like uh, transactional. Um, so, but I, I felt like, Oh, as a political novelist, he's actually kind of more interesting um and I think if I had written a different piece, it would have maybe tried to probe into that side of things more. But um the biography doesn't uh is not that interested in politics. So there was really there wasn't a lot to work with there. And then also then there was so much on the other side that I ended up um like not doing that piece and doing a different a different piece.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, I think I think that this um was such a weird Experience because I had gone in being like, oh, I think I'm gonna write about this person that I sort of thought I wouldn't like, but ended up being really into. And then reading the biography, um, it just reversed my opinions because um if you I think the, the sort of like best way to read some of Roth's books is by insisting on like the separation between the art and the artist and the idea that the art is more sophisticated. Um, in its expression of relationships between men and women and so on, than the artist actually is in his own life. Um, It's like a little more nuanced, a little bit more circumspect um, in its construction of these uh, relationships. And um, then to read the biography and see it sort of really collapsed, that distinction uh, definitely makes that reading harder I mean, I, th- I still think it's true that his books are much less aggrieved and much more sophisticated than his personal attitudes. Um, but it definitely is off-putting to see him popping up in the book, being interviewed, just literally, like, trying to settle scores. Um, it-, it definitely makes it harder to read his work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: To, to um, read his work pleasurably, because I'm not saying, I would never say people should stop reading Philip Roth. People should should enjoy these books to the extent they can. And um, if you love Philip Roth, good for you. I mean, I, I like Philip Roth a lot. One of the things that was really weird for me in the wake of publishing this review was people telling me that like, you hate Philip Roth and like, you're a feminist who hates men. And I was like, not at all. I, I like these books a lot. I see I see problems with them. I like lots of books that have big problems. I mean, if you're a woman and you only want to read stuff that portrays women in like a, an equitable way, good luck reading anything <laughs> like written basically before the last 20 years. Um, I, I, that's not my standard for appreciating literature at all. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that the that there's such a mess in in the discourse around Philip Roth where if you criticize him at all, you're caricatured as someone who is like an ideological enemy of man, um, and it really shuts down appreciative conversation from people who have critical points to make.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, well, I would definitely like to read. Maybe it exists somewhere. I'm sure it will at some point, like a long essay or even book length treatment on like Roth as political writer. Um, you know, his the novel he wrote after Portnoy, which was this giant. Six, literary success of the likes that, you know, uh, we don't see anymore uh, was Our Gang, which is this crazy satire of uh, the Nixon administration before Watergate even, uh, you know, happened. And uh, it, it's, I, I think it's a very funny book still. And I actually reread it early on in the Trump administration, um, you know, thinking about sort of the absurd cartoonish characters from the Nixon administration versus the ones today. And yeah, so you have Counterlife and Operation Shylock, Uh, deal with zionism you have the plot against america dealing with uh you know the run-up to world war ii and this counterfactual history and you know the uh, the human stain was inspired supposedly by uh the Lewinsky clinton scandal and yeah so just looking at roth and politics you know there's there's a lot there i mean he, he like he is a great novelist like his his books as with you know the work of any great artist like there's no correct interpretation i think and there's no definitive thing you could say about it um it'll be you know continue to be contested uh as long as people keep on reading um which you know they probably don't do as much as they did years ago um but yeah i think it's um it's i don't know it's, it's 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 both like yeah just like a total mess and somewhat like, absurdly, am that, that this is happening. Like, if this had happened to, like, the guy who wrote the Saul Bellow um, biography, what's that guy's name? He's the son of...
1: James Abbas.
0: Yes. Um, no, I'm thinking of Bellow's son being the, uh, the publisher of conservative work. <laughs> yeah. you well, know, if that had come out, it would have been less, I don't know, less of a thing or something. Uh, I mean, I guess Roth is more read today than Bellow, but it's somehow, like, I don't know, it fits in, in our, like, crazy reality that that this, that this is... Is happening um and yeah i guess like getting back to um sort of like does it does it matter in the end like why do we care about literary biography maybe this would be the last question and it's like impossible answer why do i care about literary biography does it matter like Philip Roth, asshole yes or no like does that matter like we all know at this point or we maybe we all don't know but many people know today today that like charles dickens was a horrible person who mm-hmm. treated his wife much worse than Roth treated any woman correct me if I'm wrong but like he had her like committed to an insane asylum against her will to like so he could like continue an affair um this is like the mother of his 11 children maybe I have the details wrong about that but you know so we we, it's good that we know that but um you know uh no one is stopping the publication of Bleak House like this is
1: a really good example right that biography of him that came out several years ago uh was a I don't know once an all biography showing a very (laughs) nasty man who basically tortured his wife but um I think the difference is no one ever really felt that invested in pretending that V.S. Nightfall was like their hero like he's a brilliant novelist but I don't think there are many probably people, a couple of
0: people out there who are the big Naipaul. Yeah,
1: yeah no, maybe. I know. Mean, maybe I love what I'm saying is I love V.S. Naipaul, but I don't feel like <laughs> that in order to love his books that I have to like strongly identify with like, that's my guy. Like his life, uh, you know, is that he wasn't. He never, never said he was
0: Naipaul never said he was Mr. Biswas. You know, or, was, Noah... that
1: was his father. It was based on his father. But yeah, I think he just, Naipaul himself was not invested in being seen as a good person, um, allowed his biographer access to all this stuff that like basically documented what a bad person he was. I think it's really valuable to know that kind of thing. It's valuable to know how the artists lived, the experiences they have. Like, I don't think I said this in the review. It's interesting to sort between what they actually experience and how they select from that reality to to make a work of art. Like what do they leave in? What do they... Uh, leave out um, these are these can lead to some interesting readings um, of the work and of the larger project Um, in terms of like do these biographies allow us to make meaningful moral judgments on the people and on their work I'm less interested in that um, because again like I don't think that most novelists become famous for being good people they become the of people like reading their <laughs> books. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, I think, I think that there's value in the Philip Roth biography that can capture what happened, what he thought about it um, without needing to con- con- condone or to, to just present one side.
0: Yeah. And, and the, the way that, I mean, the way the discourse is, in quotes is is moving is like away from that position you just laid out, which is like this person bad canceled. You know, I'm never reading Harry. The Harry Potter super fans are never rereading their beloved book because they disagree with J.K. Rowling about you know trans issues and yeah, it's just everything has gotten stupider uh, because of Twitter and, and and other social media and um, and so yeah, it, it's more. Yeah, it's more like, okay, this person this person is a jerk. David Foster Wallace is a jerk. He wrote a piece about the, the way he treated his um, female partner very badly. And that th- this is puncturing the idea of him as some sort of like secular saint um, and font of, you know, all wisdom. And, and, then, and then there's like the other side where just people, this joke that's so stale at this point about like, Seeing infinite jest on someone's bedstand <laughs> means like you should run away <laughs> as, as quickly as possible. Um, so it, it's all become like it's all, you know, the the lack of vs nightpulse super fans who are like arguing about it on Twitter, and er- and everything is like filtered through the lens of like personal tribal identification and. Who yeah, are, yeah like, I mean, maybe and... maybe
1: the difference is like uh, there's no one who has in their dating profile like favorite book is a house from Mr. Biz you know, like people don't use it as a signifier in that way. The minute you start using Philip Roth or David Foster Wallace, like ever as a signifier for who you are, these conversations become so unshackled from, um, you know, sensible conversations about what's written in these books. What do they mean? Who made them? What was that person like? Um, like I've seen people say the same thing about, uh, you know, if you see a man with Roth and his nightstand around a mile, well, what if that person is like a really sophisticated, critical reader of Philip Roth who can talk to you uh, for an hour about all their problems with the book? Um, so I think I think these these conversations are, get sort of flattened and uh, there's some truth in the meme. Right. There's a reason that people pass these things around because there's kind of like a, a modicum of truth in uh, the criticism of people who identify so strongly with these guys, but at the same time, um, there isn't a lot of room for people who are like, "Oh, I enjoy this book, and I have some thoughts about it." Like that—that is a very hard position to stake out.
0: Yeah, someone there should. Someone should run an experiment with dating profiles and saying, "Fair book house. Of Mr. Biswas versus <laughs> other potential Nobel or non-Nobel laureates books and seeing, you know, who gets the most um you know traction uh, on there because yeah, if someone I don't even know what that what the performance of self that people do on online dating apps and other such places, what you're saying, house of Mr. Biswas. I'm not <laughs> sure what you're trying to indicate about yourself in order to make other people like you. Um so
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. We should we should find like the one person who has that in their profile and ask them what they're but, thinking.
0: Yeah, why did you? Why did? You, and they, they were probably like, they, that person. Probably just be like, oh, I just read it and liked it. It's a
1: good book. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um Okay. So, oh, it, anything else you want to say about this before we uh before we wrap up?
1: uh No, I think I think that we we've said a lot. There's probably much more to say, but um yeah, it was great talking with you about this. Thank you.
0: Okay. Well, thank you for. Thank you for taking the time and doing it. I think it was a good conversation. I can uh, Yeah, I it clarified some stuff, things in my mind just talking about this with you. It's. I still think it's just a giant mess, and I. I, I don't know where to. I mean, th- things will continue to um, to develop because you know the story just broke a week or so ago. I just I I should add that I was excited you know three or so months ago when when uh, Bailey followed me on Twitter and I was like oh maybe I can get him on the show at some point um to interview him about about the Roth book. And then, and then I was just like 900 pages. Like, i just, I just can't do it. You didn't um, want to
1: prep for that.
0: Yeah. So, uh, and I always, I, I always read the book when I interview an author. So, um, I, I, my laziness saved myself of having to like, you know, do that thing that various cultural organizations are doing or like kind of scrub their, uh, mm-hmm. their passing. And he deleted his Twitter, you know, very shortly after this story broke. Um, and we'll probably just be communicating via his lawyers with the public for the foreseeable future, um. Yeah. So that's that's the the weird personal footnote. Um. On this, for me, I you know not that this is a question. We're considering. You know, I think Roth is a great author and should be continue to be read. And people will be arguing about the work and the man as long as people keep on reading books. Um. Which hopefully they'll keep on doing. Okay. So thank you, <laughs> thank you, Laura, for letting me talk too much about this and uh, for a great conversation. And thank you to our viewers and listeners you know, rate and review us on iTunes, whatever. Okay. (laughs) Um, uh, And we'll see you again next time. Thanks. Bye.